Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, it is Thursday. Yeah. It is Thursday, and we have a great hour uh, for you. We were able to speak earlier today with Trevon Edwards. You know him from uh, The Athletic, uh, where he covers the NBA. You know him from the Bomb Podcast Network, uh, Bomb Series family of podcasts with the Count the Dings podcast network. Uh, that was butchered um and he's a he works at white and kennedy now he's had a great yeah. year he is a great guy yes. and it was a yes. fantastic conversation so um andy's just gonna vamp real quick here while i bring it up yeah it's really cool actually the first time we we've known uh trayvon just over twitter the way you you'll sort of get to know people in sort of the circles that we work in but uh the pandemic was really the first time we ever spoke with him face to face and then in like the last, I don't know, eight-ish or so months since we talked to him, which at that time it was revealed that he was one of the people behind the NBA uh, Bubble Life Twitter account that ended up becoming this That was a big deal. deal. Um, his life has changed a lot in a lot of really interesting ways, and we wanted to talk with that uh, about that with him, among other stuff. All right, so that was well done, Andy. Uh, well executed, and we can bring you that interview right now. Jerron, it's good to see you, man. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, and so a lot has changed since the yes. last time we saw you. A lot uh, has changed. You were still living in Arizona. You were still uh, a secret member of NBA Bubble Life. Um, yeah. And we we actually, I think we talked to you like the day that that knowledge dropped, that you were uh, one quarter of the brain trust behind that. And since then, man, lots going on in your life. Man, so much, man. I'm extremely blessed, man. Thank God. Uh, you know, I was in a car accident after that. I broke my kneecap. Oh. <laughs> um, and you know, I couldn't walk for a bit for a bit, but you know, thank God through rehab and 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 love and support, I'm back walking, back working out and doing what I want to do. Um, but yes, I've made the move to New York City. I'm working for a beautiful company of White and Kennedy, still co-founder of Count the Dings, still, you know, covering the NBA for the athletic and just truly blessed. Um, and I will say this, you know, Trevon is, is we're, we're taping this a little early, not just because you're in New York, but also apparently you have a judgmental bed that doesn't like it when you stay up late and like right. it shames you for not getting enough sleep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> like, how does that work? So I have this uh, Tempur-Pedic uh, bed. Um, shouts to Mattress Firm. They oversold me. You know, I came, in with, <laughs> I, came in, I came in with a different budget, man. You know, my friend Sarah always teases me about like your your magic bed. Did, did you did you get a good score tonight? You know what I mean? Like it's super funny. But, um, you know, every day I get every time I wake up, it tells you a sleep score and it gives you like REM sleep, deep sleep. You know, how often did you wake up? You know, um, did you snore? It has a pattern of everything. And, you know. My score hasn't been great. I think my highest score out of 100 was 77. Um, and that was one night I decided to go to bed before like 1030. And it's kind of impossible if you're trying to watch West Coast games and, you know, just total FOMO. If you got friends on the West Coast, your group chat's going off crazy. And uh, since I had this bed, like you lay there, you sink in, it, it like absorbs your form. You, you, it's a remote control that comes with it. I usually hit the zero G so it lifts up and it like leans back and, you know, prevents all this zero G yeah, it has zero, <laughs> it has zero, it has zero G and you know George I mean? Clooney, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it's so good, man. Like I swear by it. Um, but when I wake up in the morning and I get the email results, it's just really disheartening because, you know, my score is still below 80. I'm trying to get there. Um, I don't know what it's going to take for me to go to bed so really this early. This is basically, it's the equivalent of every Sunday when you get your screen time report yes. on your iPhone yes. and it feels so fucking judgmental. Yes. Like, it feels like your phone is judging you. Like yes. if it's been up 6% or whatever. I think the most disheartening part is like when you feel like you had the best sleep ever and then you see like <laughs> you score like a 54 and you're like, Dang! Like, I mean, I don't want—I don't want to get this to be too personal, or whatever. But I feel like also too, like romantic relationships could be affected by this. But like, you know, look, honey, I gotta be asleep. Whatever we're gonna do tonight's gotta be done by nine because I'm not <laughs> sacrificing. I'm not yeah. sacrificing my score for for this. Yeah, I can answer that, but I will say, um, <laughs> for, the, for the most part, I mean, if 
anyone does sleep in that bed. You know, um, it, it has the it actually records the who the second person in the bed. I can add them as a profile. So, you know, you can get that score. And also, if somebody's snoring, I have a snore button where it adjusts their the head part of it, where it leans them up. I also up. feel like it's almost like in the two, like if you ever break up, then you have you to remove delete their profile. You can That's remove <laughs> the profile. Then you go get your own. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I would, I, would be, I would be screening potential partners. Just like the idea of, look, I've yeah. been working really hard to get myself into like the mid 70s and occasional 80. Right. You're, you're great. Don't get me wrong. But you're just not a good you're, enough you're, sleeper. You're messing up my sleep score. Like, <laughs> right. I'm a really, I'm a really light sleeper anyway. Like I feel like your bed would stress me out to the point where my sleep would get worse. <laughs> like just worrying about my growth. I don't, I don't know though. Like I had, um, I had a really bad lower back pains, and I could never sleep on my back. I would have to turn to a side to make it like at least comfortable. And this bed, I can. It just sinks in, so you're not really dealing with the pressure. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't really welcome anybody into my bed like that. <laughs> but if you're ever in Brooklyn, New York, and you want to, or no, you go to your local mattress firm and say, hey, I want to try the Tempur-Pedic, you know, $4,000 Get me bed. the Trevon. Give me the Trevon. You know what I mean? Mattress firm, holler at me. Promo. <laughs> we're, promo we're doing beds right now. That's right. That's I mean, yeah, look, there's always advertising space available on the bomb uh, podcasts, you know, count the dings, you know, I know how this goes. You got, you got to, you know, you got to open up space for anyone and there mattresses you, are legit. There you go. Mattresses, bedding companies, whoever, holler at my guy, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay. We're at the halfway point basically for the NBA. We're heading into, I think what can be described as a fairly controversial all-Star Weekend, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of that. But wh what are some of the storylines at the halfway point that have jumped out at you the most? Buyouts has been crazy. Those have been the biggest rumors. Um, nothing really crazy is trade. I mean, the trade stuff, obviously, outside of the Harden deal and, you know, the Knicks getting Derrick Rose or something like that. It's, it's a few names that's been mentioned. I mean, teams are really bad and teams are really good. And then there's a lot of surprise teams like the Suns are good. The Bulls are good. The Knicks are good. You know what I mean? Like, if are they good? Are they just like, do you do you think the Knicks are good? Good? Or are they just I, not shitty, which makes them okay? Good I won't relative. add two goods, but I think they're good. I think that they're a playoff team. Um, I think that Tibbs has did a culture reset. I think that he's got a team that's buying into what he does. No one's trying to push back on that. Um, and I think he, you know, gets the best out of his team and that they will stick around. I don't say, I don't think that they remain in the standings that they're in, but I think a lower Eastern conference playoff spot is basically there. Do you think they have the foundation for something legit to, to build on? Cause I mean, th this season is, I think going to be considered one that's kind of weird to gauge because of everything that's gone on and the way, you know, uh, one bad COVID test can lead to a team going a week playing with eight players. You know, the, the, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes into, trying to evaluate where a team is like when you look at the pieces of the Knicks, do you feel like they've actually got something that they can, that they can move forward with? Yeah. They have no pressure. They have no star. Julius Randle is having an amazing year. Yeah. More than deserving of all-star, but no, I mean, what I mean is no superstar. So there's no pressure. It's no ideal focus. You got Alec Burks going off. You got Emmanuel quickly going off. You got, it's any guy's night in this system. Derrick Rose might have some vintage stuff going on. You know what I mean? Like, and, and shouts to Derrick Rose on his comeback. Like, I mean, people that ridden, wrote him off, to hell with them. And Carmelo, you know what I mean? Like, no one should be able to write your story until you should only be able to write your own story. In this particular situation, like, the Knicks have good problems. You know, they have youth that's, that's figuring it out. And only Tibbs would be able to find a way to – you know, have Nilakina be able to be serviceable. He's got the bright spots out of him. I mean, most of those guys are playing hard for him, and you got to respect it. This is the part, though, I think is is interesting. Like, you know, all you know, the Lakers got to this point where it actually got lucky, I think, a couple times because they made the big play for Carmelo. They made the big play for LaMarcus Aldridge twice. Um, you know, they got two pitch meetings with LaMarcus Aldridge. The first one was so bad. Um you know, and and they struck out on those things, and ultimately they were lucky because it it 
kept the chain alive they, so they could trade they all those guys. They got lucky that Durant wouldn't give them a meeting. Yes. Because they, they might have sat around on the 1% chance that, that Durant would say yes and miss out on other things that would have made more immediate sense. Like they really got lucky that he just gave them a mercy no. Right. And so the Lakers eventually, you know, they then, you know, we know what happens. You get all the draft picks, you trade all the draft picks, and you get Anthony Davis. LeBron shows up, you're good to go. The Knicks are in that dangerous place, I think, though, where you have to decide what are we? Are we going to grow with what we have? Are we going to start trading a bunch of stuff? Because we think, you know, we're talking Thursday, they're 18 and 18. We think at 18 and 18, you know, we're in great shape. And RJ Barrett is looking like he's got potential. And look at Julius and all that. Do you do you trust their management now, you know, with Leon Rose and with Tibbs to be able to not do something stupid now that they've gotten to this point? I don't know if I trust them, but I will say I like what they have. I think mm -hmm. Vegas in this situation, it's like being up 500. And do you get greedy or do you walk away from the table? And I think in this situation, they need to walk away from the table and greedy, stick with what they have. Greedy, <laughs> greedy, greedy. But I can see I the Knicks. I can see the table. Yeah, I can, I can see. I can see the Knicks getting greedy, maybe moving Julius Randle, you know, for something. And I just don't. I don't think that. I think they should just build with what they have. They like playing with each other. They have a few pieces. They're young. You know, what I mean, even the guys that aren't consistent are still showing here and there that they can add to this team. You know, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I like the the Obi Toppins of the of of that group, and you know, Kevin Knox is still doesn't look like he's any good, and you know, they, Barrett looks like he's emerging as a pretty legit player, and quickly is a is a great find. But I do wonder if there's enough there when you get past Rose and Alfred Payton is Alfred Payton, he's fine. Um, you know, Mitchell Rod, like I, they need some stuff. They do need some stuff. Absolutely. So where do they get it? Like. You know, do you start trading guys or? I mean, or depending on the depending on the acts, I would go get Andre Drummond. But it just depends on what I have to give up. I'm if they're asking for Julius Randle, if they're asking for, um, you know, quickly, they're asking for Barrett. No thanks. No, I wouldn't. If if I, I would. if I have to give up, maybe, you know, uh, Mitchell Robinson. If I have to give up. Theo Pinson, some guys that just, you know, are very like Austin Rivers, you know, like I like Austin I would, Rivers. I would trade Austin Rivers for just and I'm about saying, anything. But, but I'm just saying like Austin Rivers came in with the confidence that the team would be in this position. So shout out to him being predicting the future. But I don't see him as a lifelong Nick. I don't see him as in their future moving forward years to come. Not saying that he's not a good player, but if I got a chance to get a guy like Andre Drummond, who isn't like cream of the crop, but he makes them better immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it puts, and him, it, it puts him in a respectable spot, I would say. Yeah, and it gets it, it does though get into that weird uh, or not even weird question, but just the real question of you know if you trade for Andre Drummond, are you committed to re-signing him? Because that doesn't mean if the answer is no, it doesn't necessarily mean well, I you think, should I think make you, that I think trade. You do, I think you do after you make that trade. It's well, it depends on what you give up. I mean, it depends on who you include. They've got in the trade. they've got some draft equity. They got some picks from Dallas. They've got you know the Marcus Morris stuff from the Clippers. They've got some things. Like if you could find that sweet spot of we don't mortgage too much of the future while basically ensuring we get into the playoffs. So guys like Randall and Barrett and Quickly and whoever we consider part of that core moving forward, they get a taste of this. And we can even see how they respond to it because it might help us figure out, okay, who do we really see as a long-term part of this future and who, you know, maybe could be more expendable in a different type of deal. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I, I could see them tra trading for Drummond to keep him as a pure rental. I mean, it just, it really depends on how much they have to give up. Right. What do you think when you look at uh, West? Because, you know, the Lakers without AD – are a pretty ordinary team, but that's to be expected. The Clippers, when George and um, when George and Kawhi have played, have been really good, um, but that's been a little bit hit or miss. And then Utah looked unbeatable. Now they've lost three or four. Where, where do, what do you what do you think about what's going on out here? Still the Lakers. <laughs> I'm not losing any sleep on this. Shout out to Utah and what they're doing over there. 
Um, I didn't love what, what Mitchell was, you know, blabbering about. I understand <laughs> it. I understand. Some- no, I'm saying I understand that it was it was a couple calls that were questionable. The refs have been pretty questionable. Um, and, but you gotta play. You gotta win ball yeah. games. You guys, it's not like you guys are being robbed and you're like the last team in the league. You're first. You know what I mean? Like you guys are playing exceptional ball game, ball basketball. You guys are sharing the ball. You guys enjoy playing playing basketball with each other. Just ride, ride it out, ride it out. Take the L. One thing I do love about Kawhi Leonard, whether a, a foul, a hiccup, doesn't say anything. Just gets nope. back because you can't get that play back anyway. You complaining about the refs doesn't fix it the next night. So I mean, I don't expect the Jazz to win it all, but I am very impressed at how they're rolling. Um, the Clippers. I don't expect them. It's to real quick. Well, hold on, like it, it, we'll get. I don't mean to cut you off, but like oh, the no, jazz no. thing, it's a little, a little unsettling. I think when a team gets that unraveled by officiating at the end, like they really got unglued. I will give Donovan Mitchell respect for when he knocks over the uh, the Gatorade canister and hits the security guard. He did stop to make sure the guy was okay. So it's like, which I thought was cool. I was <laughs> like, nice. that's, that's no, nice. He's a nice kid. I mean, absolutely. He's he to, yeah. He's one of the but, young young superstars of this league, but at the end of the day, nah. Yeah, no, and he missed a bunch of shots in a row. They they really got unglued there, and it's probably good that it happened in game thirty, whatever, as opposed to game sixty, whatever. But you got to fix that before you get to the playoffs, because if you're that fragile, that could be a problem. I mean, it all goes back to act like you've been there before. The Jazz mm-hmm. is a story franchise; they've been in the playoffs for consecutive seasons. I, you know what I mean? Most of my life, they've been in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Thanks to John Stockton and crew. And then you also look at the Darren Williams years and now with Spider Mitchell. They haven't missed many times in the postseason. Getting over that great hump, <laughs> this team's like the Lakers. It's only 10 teams that win in the past 30 years. Yeah. They actually get to taste the champagne. So it, It's funny you say that, like specifically when you're talking about the Jazz, because – like those Stockton Malone jazz had the absolute worst luck of timing. Like right. when you, when you look at the, not just the fact that they didn't win, but the teams that actually won during the era of Stockton and Malone, like it wasn't just Jordan's bulls. Like they dealt with the Showtime Lakers. They dealt with Elijah Wan's rockets. They dealt with the, the bad boy Pistons, the Spurs, like, they went through this cycle. Then the the Kobe Shaq three-peat team. Like mm-hmm. they went through this period that had teams that weren't just good enough to win championships. Like they were good enough to, to repeat, to occasionally three-peat. Like if the Jazz had played, if that era of Jazz had played 20 years earlier, you know, 10 years earlier, 10 years later, they likely would have had at least one championship. Yeah, I mean, at least they were, one. They were, they were so consistently good. But – the you know the timing right now for this current incarnation of the Jazz, like they're a I agree they're a legitimately good team. They also though I think could have issues matching up with either the Lakers or the Clippers. Maybe like the only two teams in the league better than them, but they happen to be better than them at this one moment in time. It's a, it's very Rockets. It's very it's very Rockets. Harden, Chris Paul, you know D'Antoni. When it's like okay, you're a good team. But the Warriors are the greatest team ever assembled. Yeah. I mean, some teams it's just that <laughs> got your number. They yeah. just got your number. You know what I mean? Like I said, I don't I hate backhanded compliments, and I feel like I always do that to the Jazz. But I'm just being realistic, man. You know, I I I made a big fuss and hooting Nanny over Go Bears 200 million. And you know, fans was wanting to stick it to me. But Did you like, go full? Like, you went full hoot nanny on that. I went full hoot nanny. <laughs> but in the situation, like I'm just being a realist, man. I want more for the Jazz fans, but also people are like, Jazz fans don't need to have more. They've been to the playoffs. There's teams that haven't been to the playoffs in a very like, long time. So yeah, I just I just think that they should try, try to worry about winning a championship one year of their lifetime. You know what I mean? Not just saying, hey, we were a pretty good team that year. We could have did it because that display from Gobert last night, and it's crazy because they're running a special about him. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm efficient numbers-wise, analytically, on the floor, what he does, defensive player of the year, first-team all-defense, don't take that away from him. 
Does he deserve a $200 million contract? Absolutely, yes. If I was the GM and I had to pay it, absolutely not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they need more. They need more. Spider and him is not going to do it. That's Mike Conley, the who, that's the who. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? Like it, it just ain't happening. You know what I'm saying? And if I was a jazz fan, I would be irate. I don't want to just die on the hill of Rudy Gobert's 200 mil. Hang that rafter up. You know how the Knicks fans always, we won five, we're over 500. Put Rudy Gobert's $200 million contract up. There. But then what do you do though? You know what I mean? Because like there, there are only so many players that can impact the game, like really on a few different levels. And I think I think Gobert is one of them. Even, even if he's not somebody that you can necessarily build around as a as a championship piece by himself. Like there are certain things Gobert does that are really valuable. Well, and he actually wants not, to be there too. Right, right. And if, if you're not gonna spend it on him, like you're gonna be spending it on somebody. And and then the flip side is if you get too picky about who you spend it on, then you never spend it on anybody. So like it, it gets to this weird place where, and, I, and I'm not saying that this is the way you were approaching it, but like a lot of times people look at this as total championship or bust. And, and the reality is like only one team gets to win. But I, I think a lot of times it's about how good of a, how good of a, a place are you putting yourself in to actually try to win? And, you know, I mean, you can look at it as, are you doing this? Are you doing this well and sometimes things don't break your way? Are you spending your money stupid? We were talking about the Knicks before. The Knicks used to spend their money. But the Lakers, Lakers tried really hard to spend their oh, money yeah. stupid, and they just couldn't. Nobody would take their money. Bus and Utah Jazz has never came out of my mouth ever in life. Like, I don't see it in my own two eyes right now currently. I don't I, – like I said, roster is very put together. Guys like to play. The chemistry is championship-wise. Yeah. They Which is ironic considering they where have, they were. They have championship chemistry, but they do not have a LeBron James. They do not have an Anthony Davis. They do not have a Kawhi yeah. Leonard, and they do That's, not have a Paul George. That is Those what, are the facts. We were talking about this last night with Zach Cram from The Ringer, and this is what I think is, is fascinating about basketball is that like there are a lot of different ways to be a superstar now. Like Nikola Jokic is just crushing people um, and looks obviously in – any number of ways different than LeBron. Like he's just different kind of player, different, all this stuff. And theoretically there are all these different ways to win it. But ultimately it's like, do you have one of those two, three or four or five guys, or do you have two of them? Or do you have three of them? Like if Paul George and if Paul George plays like the top five or six guy that he's done in stretches of his career, if you assume Kawhi is going to be Kawhi, then yeah, damn right. The Clippers can win. You know, AD with LeBron, like hard to do better than that. Donovan Mitchell's got to elevate in a big way. Jokic has got to be like a top two or three guy. And then Jamal Murray's got to jump into like, you know, play like a top 10 guy for a month. And then Porter Jr. has got to make it like all these other teams, you know, the Eastern Conference going to look at those three guys in Brooklyn and be like, what the fuck do we do with that? Yeah. Here's the thing. We, we use the superstar word too loosely. It's only like four of those dudes. Mm -hmm. It's only four of those dudes. The rest are all-stars, respectively. Right. You're a consecutive all-star. You're not a superstar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I consider superstars guys like Kevin Durant, mm -hmm. Steph Curry, LeBron James, franchise-changing guys that no matter what, just surround me with a decent team. Not It didn't have to be the greatest team, a decent team. Steph with Klay Thompson and Draymond? We're not having this conversation about the Jazz. Right. LeBron yeah. and AD and maybe KCP as a third guy playing, shooting the ball extremely well. We're not having this conversation. Kawhi, PG, and maybe Mar uh, the Morris Twins shooting the ball well. We're not having this conversation about the Jazz. No, every team doesn't have a superstar. Right. We have all-stars and we have superstars. The difference between the golden era of the 90s because when you look at it, it's the superstars. Those guys were really leading their teams to championships. Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, And there was generally only one of them for every team. And only one of them for every team. Now we have the, the heavy load. And you can applaud small market guys, right? Giannis, I do feel, has superstar power. Two-time MVP. Can raise his game a little bit more. 
but doesn't have enough to win an entire series and put it on the back and say, all right, if you drew if Bud drew up a play for Giannis, he's not going to win the game. Where, okay, here's a here's an interesting question then. Where would you put somebody like Damian Lillard? Because I feel like he's proven that he's done. Oh, I, he's, there. He's, he's, he's there. He's on okay. The, okay. he's on the line because he can win a game. He's also a player that could go in and win a three-point contest. He can go in and win an all-star MVP. He can go in and win um a skills competition. He can go in. Um, I don't know about dunk contest. He is very no, athletic, too. but I don't know if he could ever do that. But just the versatility. He's a leader. Right. He and has we've seen, we've seen star really close out series. But the, like, his team has never been made up for him to succeed. That's that's what I'm asking about. Just because, and that's no like, shot at CJ uh, McCollum. No, because no but I feel I feel like if it, but like some of it, I don't know. Some of this is gut and eye test and all the stupid shit that we you know that we you know pull out because we like a guy or don't like a guy. Yeah. I feel like if you drop Dame in one of those situations with with the right team and said, "Okay, go win," like we got you the supporting cast, go win, he'd do it. He could like like he's Absolutely. he's that kind of guy. He'll get it done for sure. I Whereas think- Donovan Mitchell, I need to see that first. It's I mean, night and day. It's night and Jokic, day. Jokic, I need to see. I love Nikola Jokic. Night and day. They're not Gotta on Dame's. They're not on Dame's level. Dame nope. is that- in that, Dame's in that conversation. The thing is, Dame's only fault is he's too loyal. You know what I mean? Gonna, he's I never going to leave Portland unless Portland trades him. And if, I, if, if Portland trades him, he's going to fill away because and, and, he's committed. And that actually, I think, spe- like Damian Lillard is like the only player of his profile in the league that nobody ever gives shit about having never won a championship. Like that true. never Good comes point. up with Damian Lillard. And I think it's because everybody recognizes he maxes out every single playoff series. He maxes out in big moments. Like, you know, you can proverbially always do a little more. But yeah. if you're looking at this realistically, even by superstar standards, there really is not much more Damian Lillard can do. He's clearly fearless when he's out there. He wants that type of responsibility. And like you said, Trayvon, he's loyal. Like, Lo- like Loyalty's overrated in the NBA. Sure. It, but... It, but what is your principles and what defines your career? What defines your career? Um, how do you view it? Do you want to be a champion or do you just want to say, hey, I left it all off on the floor? And I think in Dame's situation, yes, he would like to be a champion. But if he didn't, would it make or break his career? Absolutely not. No. Would a fan or you know fans throw that off? Absolutely not. Is somebody going to say he's washed? Absolutely not. You got commentators daily. You got you know talking heads saying, Oh, get Damian Lillard out of Portland. No, for what? He right. wants to be there. I mean, right. we should stop with the rumors. We should stop with all that other situation. You know, um, I don't know what they possibly could do to make that team get over the hump. I know Nick Jones, my buddy, always lobbies for Draymond Green to be in Portland. Yeah. I think with the ideal fit to get toughness there and a point forward. But realistically, like, I don't see anybody going to Portland to go play. And I think we're just going to say, hey, he was one of those dudes that played 20 years with his team, gave it his all, and a future Hall of Famer, respectively. It's just cool, though. I mean, that's part of it. Love Dame. Lovable. Yeah. He's that respect. It's really rare to have that type of, to basically be immune to, to those sort of count the rings criticisms. That that basically is NBA culture right now. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't like that. That's how it, it is. But never, I know it should have never existed from the jump. Yeah. I mean, who, was the, who was the third best player in the Lakers last year? Because you can talk about like that's a great way of quantifying. KCP. Like, okay, I would, say, I would say KCP in the bubble. Yeah, when probably. Came down to the bubble because it was super inconsistent. He had to find. I don't know what switch he flipped. Maybe he locked in as soon as he got in the bubble. But he was a different player. So, and, and, and I don't, and I don't mean this. I don't mean this, as, but it kind of, I think, reinforces the point that you're making, Trevon. Is that, like, how many teams have won championships where the third best player is Contavious Caldwell Pope? Like the level of player that's Casey. Not many. Not many. Not right, many. It tells you how good I, LeBron and AD. Are. I, I could see, but and this defeats my point. I know everybody's saying Brooklyn should go trade for a fourth. It's impossible because they would have to part with one of the big three. Um, but they have internal growth. Bruce mm-hmm. Brown, Nick Claxton, 
Yeah. Those dudes are having KCP type sh- visibility where you're like, where the hell did these guys come from? Well, it's because I, nobody you've seen that you've seen the tape breakdowns. Like people like literally nobody looks at Bruce Brown. Like right. he, he could, if, if they were all carrying wallets, he could steal them from everybody's pockets because nobody eats with his hands, does what he needs to do, can pass, can defend yes. one through five, can handle the ball, can finish at the hole, has been scoring 20 plus points quietly. And then right, because nobody, got, and so, you know, the, the gravity that those guys have, just the attention that they, they, they face, like. I, I the last week or two, and they were doing it without KD, and I actually think all of it, defensively included, you need to see everyone together before you can decide whether it's going to work. They're playing good enough defense right now to where, oh yeah, that's a real thing, and and you know that offense with KD letting Harden just rack up sixteen assists a game, and Kyrie goes for twenty five and five or whatever, and makes four or five three pointers. Like I don't. The level of defense, which everybody's worried about, to me looks good enough well, to, they, to go win. If they can flip Dan Witty for Tucker, Oof. hey, I like it because now they even get smaller, they get stronger, they can guard all around because, you know, it's starting to get contagious. Ky- you know, uh, Kyrie's been making effort to play. You guys talk for a second. I'll be right back. Effort. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, guys are showing like they really want to win this thing. DeAndre Jordan looks yeah, I- like flashes of his old self. Well, it's it's interesting when you see guys like whether they're coming off a championship year and they taste what that success feels like, or if you're ta- you just mentioned like DeAndre Jordan looking reinvigorated or Harden being in this opportunity for like the first time, when guys really recognize what's in front of them, like you know what this season with the Clippers, and I think maybe maybe even to some extent the Jazz too, just because they had that very open drama between uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. But you know the the Clippers, all the talk about their you know tension last year, and both of those teams, you know, by multiple accounts, had these like come to Jesus conversations where everybody just laid everything out. And I think both those teams, but especially the Clippers, recognized like, man, we wasted something. Like we wasted a real opportunity. And you don't get that many of them. And, you know, like when you really can look at yourself in the mirror and be like, no, we're good. Like there, there aren't, there aren't a lot of teams and, you know, we've all been around teams. They'll all talk about how good they are and that they believe in themselves. You can tell when they're lying because I've watched teams talk about how they still believe in themselves. You know, they're, they're in a playoff series, you know, they're going to get waxed and they still talk themselves up. And you're like, everybody here is lying. When you can actually look yourself in the mirror and say, we're good, and I think that's what's happening right now with Brooklyn, and I say this as somebody who's been very openly skeptical about you know them being able to put defensive pieces together, I think they are starting to recognize what's actually in front of them, and Trayvon, it's, just, it's motivating themselves to bring the best out of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff Green, Kyrie Irving, stepping in, leadership, just making sure guys are accountable. You know, and that's the good thing. You know, guys like Joey Bucket shooting lights out, you know, um, TLC, you know, Shamit starting to find their way. Confidence is growing. I mean, you can look down the line. I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, this is just the greatest team assembled. They still have a lot to prove, but yeah. they're looking very scary. But I won't give them too much credit because Philly, what Philly's doing over there is. I was about to say, and Philly, you're going to make up a team that is kind of designed to fight that. You have a great, great, incredibly versatile perimeter defender with uh, Ben Simmons, who can guard any of those guys. And Embiid, you know, who changes everything near the paint. So, I like, that's going to be a thing. And then I still think it's too early. Like, you got to... Milwaukee was pretty good while Holiday was playing, and then Holiday left. You know, he was with the COVID, you know, missed, what was it, like 10 or 11 games with COVID? Um, and he's back now, but not really back yet. Like, they were pretty good. Their 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 uh, you know point differential when Holiday was healthy, they were beating up everyone. So you know he's a guy who can defend. Certainly can defend Harden. He can certainly defend uh, Kyrie, and you know Giannis can defend. I don't think it's a given that that they can get out. I just wonder if those teams can score enough to to compete with Brooklyn if Brooklyn's rolling. I think it's a trade-off. I mean, you know, you you put Simmons on KD, you put well no, you put Simmons on Kyrie or Harden, 
you put Matisse on uh, on Kyrie or whoever it may be, they can interchange. You're going to give up. Uh, you're going to give up points with KD. He's going to get what he's going to get, and vice versa. You're going to give up points from Embiid, and I think it's just a heavyweight fight. You know, what I mean, the only thing you got perimeter shooting on a trade off and the Spider Man meme of Seth Curry and Joe Harris. And then, you know, you just kind of pick your poison. And I think it's going to be all out gunfight. But, you know, that that's a fun series to look forward to, but not to count out the Milwaukee's because they've been here before. Not to count out, you know, um, who else is in the Miami Heat? You know, like those teams. If they can get us together. I think they do, though. I think they do. You know, if they bring in a DeMarcus Cousins, who's just kind of chilling at the crib right now, you know what I mean? Like they don't need to grab; they don't have to grab much. They don't have to grab much. I don't think. I don't think DeMarcus helps them. I mean, I, I mean, I love. I love. Listen, Boogie. if Myers I, Leonard, I want Boogie, I want Boogie to succeed. If Myers as Leonard, much could, as if Myers Leonard could get on the floor. Boogie can get on the floor. Yeah, but Myers Leonard wasn't getting on the floor. <laughs> I remember, I mean, like in the no, playoffs, I get it. He, he I get it. Played last year. I get it, but I'm just Not saying the playoffs, he doesn't have true. to play. He doesn't have to play much. With just a body, I think he can. I think he can give some stuff. But overall, know. that's just me on my boogie love and and, and hoping <laughs> that he gets another shot. Doesn't mean that he's going there. Doesn't mean that I'm lobbying for him to get there. But I would like to see him there because that's a realistic destination. It's not anything of uh you know throwing out a loose team like oh he'll go to Brooklyn no or or he'll go back to the Lakers. No, because not, the Lakers are interested in Hassan Whiteside, and then also the Lakers are interested in Blake Griffin. So, God, that's both of those guys. I mean, I, I, I look. You, you put. I mean, I, I get the appeal. I, like Blake's I said, I have the best, beautiful. but you know, it's just it's just emergency break glass until eighty. I feel gets- like if if there is a defensive structure in a team and a coach that can turn Hassan Whiteside into a winning player or a winning enough player, it's Frank Vogel. Um, but with LeBron with AD with Le- right with LeBron with AD, like you say, break glass in case of emergency, very special set of skills, um, you know, taken style. Um, but I got as, as, cri- as, cr- as, as cringe as it is, I'm taking Trez over Blake right now, so I get it. Oh, yeah, well, I it's interesting because I, I've thought Blake could be an interesting addition to the Lakers, but. I don't see him functioning like like Trez, and I agree with you on on balance. Trez is going to be a much much. More it would be a player. it would be a petty signing, right? On paper, you're well, like, you oh my who, god, you the Lakers got Blake yeah. Griffin. Well, I'm here for pettiness. I love right. some pettiness. You say, oh, great. Lakers Griffin. fans love that because it'll be like sticking it to Bomber, mm-hmm. and we got him for cheap, and let's just give him a shot. But see, then I, Lakers fans are really he'll turn if he's playing really bad. Get him well, off our team. Well, I, I mean, uh, that stuff can always turn on time. Like the the pe- the pettiness works both ways. You know, it's a two way petty street. the The way I picture Blake Griffin potentially working with the Lakers is just like a wheel greaser for that second unit. Like somebody that he's he's a he's a five he's a five inch shorter version of Gasol, with a different defensive yeah. profile, a different app, but like the basic skill set can step out and hit three pointers excellent passer respect the jump shot all that kind of stuff you know skillful offensive player he's he functions like Gasol so like you would use Trez I guess if you wanted the inside stuff you would use um Griffin in a lineup where you didn't want a true center on the floor um but the, he and Marc Gasol to me at this point in their careers kind of serve the same function offensively yeah, I mean, hey, my buddy Baron Davis said he still believes in Blake. I'm gonna try to still believe in Blake. You know, I'm not I'm not here to write off careers. Um, maybe he proves us all wrong, and I'm 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 riding for him. So wherever he does end up, I wish him the best. Did you see that Baron said too that they the Kia back in the day tried to pay him with a car and not money? Yeah, it was excellent, <laughs> excellent backstory, man. I love when NBA guys let us in, let us in the door. It, it explained actually why he poked his head out of the sunroof. That's like right. I, I, I always thought that he did it just because you know that, just to, that, like put a part of the dunk, right? Right. Well, I mean that that pass actually I've always thought was an underrated degree of difficulty. Like the idea of you try to throw a lob pass from the constriction of a sunroof, like you you don't have full extension of your arm, like that sort of thing. Like I I've always thought that that was more difficult than than it appeared. But now it's learn you're just learning like no this was this was Baron putting Kia in a place where, like everybody sees me. 
Yeah. Like I, I am a part of this, whether you like it or not. Good for surprise. Baron. It's hey, that's, I, Baron that's, Davis. That, that's part of that's part of. Hey, I'm outsmarting you. I'm it's a very Baron. Up. It's a very Baron Davis way of resolving that situation. And I mean that with a lot of respect. One of the brightest minds right now, man. Yes, Shout Baron. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah we we Entre like entrepreneur, man. Yeah. So how do you? I, I I don't know how deep you are into like sneaker stuff and whatever. Can he make Reebok work? Because I know that's a that's um, a goal. I know that was a conversation that, you know, that that happened. I mean, I think Baron would be better off telling you guys. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not really in the in the room with that. Um, I know it was a conversation and I know he's been excited about it, but you know, Baron has his hands in so much, man. Like yeah. right yeah. now he's cool. talking about he just got in with NFTs. So, you know, who knows what what he got going overall. But I definitely would love for him to do it. You know what I mean? He was actually a, you know, he had a signature shoe with them before and you know, he has a history and I'm sure he has a, a group that that could put some money up, and like I said, sky's the limit. And I, I, I do believe that guy can do anything. Yeah, he, he's a really creative guy. You know, I, I agree with you that like whatever whatever space he decides to get into, I think it's going to work really well. Yeah. Um, and again, just congrats on congrats retroactively on uh, bending Kia to your knee. Because I, I, <laughs> nice I mean, that, that was a nice, I think it was an Optima. It's a nice car. Yeah, it's an Optima. Car. Probably wanted the, the ability to, you know, you pay me in money. If I want a car, I'll go buy one. I don't <laughs> need you to give me one. Yeah. Um, want to ask you about All-Star Weekend because I don't think there's ever been an All-Star game coming up where, you know, the players want to be there less. The vast majority of players seem to have zero interest. The NBA, though, is trying, I think, really hard um, to lean into some very honorable uh, social, you know, social justice issues, highlighting historically black colleges and universities, really pushing that the referee crew they announced today, three graduates, I believe of uh, HBCUs and, and a lot of, you know, they're, they're emphasizing black designers there, but it, do, do you, do you have any sense that that makes a difference to the players in terms of, no, whether or not they're or the perception or, of the event. No, the perception no. of the event. No, no one's no no one's overly excited. It's empty gestures. Um, it's been like that for the past two years. Um, we all know that it's all about money. Um, and the players also are playing, so they don't get fined and and obviously get rewarded handsomely at the end of their contract talks and in their contract bonuses. Mm -hmm. So respectively, they're going to still do it, even though they're not happy about it. Most guys haven't had a break and was looking forward to planning a vacation time with their families. For other guys that didn't make the game, they can't leave out the state, and then they're going to get back to playing immediately. So this ideally isn't working in anybody's favor. Nobody's outsmarting anybody. And as far as having three refs that, you know, are former HBCU uh, graduates, you know, kudos to that. You know what I mean? to In their family, it's honorable, you know, and a, a great gesture for them to work that game. Um the layout is very clunky, you know, uh, activities during halftime, activities before the game, all on one night. Um, it's just really, it reminds me of like the basketball version of Coachella. I don't know if I need a wristband <laughs> to sit on my couch or what, but um, like I said, this is, you know, you, you're going into like a heavily black populated community um, in Atlanta that's been wide open for a while and, and, and hasn't really been taking COVID really serious. I think it defeats the purpose. And I think if they really wanted to, you know, give back to black communities and HBCUs, they could have just paid with their pockets and just kind of did always it. Got the check. It, yeah. Yeah. How they yeah. Did a rookie world game and said, Hey, we're just honoring these people. We picked it and now we're moving on. Yeah. I mean, you, you want, look, we have a collectively societally, we have a 15 second attention span. So this may all end up forgotten. And, you know, the beat goes on this season has been just a slog towards the finish line on a lot of different counts. But I do wonder if in terms of just the perception that the NBA wants to build up through this, if they're actually overplaying their hand, like, you know, if it's sort of like a few gestures too many, like in the sense of looking like they're trying too hard, like, you know, there's because there's a there's a they're, lot. They're, they're already there. They're already there as far as looking to like looking at the trying too hard. But again, it's COVID. We're stuck at home. We're going to watch regardless if we complain or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter what people have to say. It's like being canceled. It only lives on the internet. In the real life, it still goes on. So in those scenarios, the All-Star game is going to happen. 
no matter what LeBron said during that time, he's going to play in a game. He's going to pick his team. We're still going to see him play he on did. Sunday. He did. That, that's actually been done while we were exactly. talking. Exactly. So, first, and he took Giannis. That's a good pick. So in it those is. situations, you look at it like although guys aren't happy, the money still, the check still clears on the first and fifteenth, and so be it. You know what I mean? Like this is the way it is. And for the NBA, it's business as usual. They're going to rub their hands and say, "Hey, we did a good job. We outshined the NFL. Leave us alone." Yeah. By the way, wow. I just saw LeBron. By the way, went real big yeah. with his team. Like this is no small ball lineup here. It's LeBron, Giannis. Luca, Jokic, and Steph. <laughs> so it's like LeBron is the second is the second shortest guy on the team. That's fair. That is a big lineup. I would love to see how that works in like real basketball over the course of a season. Good passing lineup. Well, too, this man. is year eighteen. He doesn't have to shoot. He got bigs that he can throw lobs to, and he got a shooter. That you know what that also feels like uh, from LeBron's perspective: a starting five where he does not have to do jack shit. Exactly, he wants from this All Star weekend. Exactly, as in the great and the great words of you know uh, Mark Phillips, Supreme Dreams. I'm 36. Yes, <laughs> I mean this is literally these are four guys that he can give the ball to. They can do pretty much everything. They can play, make, they can score. And it's like you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna be in the back, cherry pick a lot. Like he's just gonna be in the back, just chilling. Absolutely, I'm gonna be doing a thing. Do you last question on this because we want to talk to you about the podcast stuff as well? Like, I do you do you feel like because my big my big question about All Star is both how the I someone in six months can write a story about the dynamics that why the players union agreed to do it in the way they did without fighting about it, whatever. And Chris Paul kind of has hinted at it. It's like, hey guys, the union and the rest of these non stars, the revenue matters to them, and that's part of why we're doing this. Um, but the, the flip side is whether it's, you want to be kind of, if you have a, maybe a jaundiced eye about it and you look at it and you think the, it almost feels a little bit, um, I don't know, exploitative or, uh, you'd be like, look, if you don't support this game, look at all the black designers we're supporting and the black causes and all these other things, um, extortionist, whatever you want to say. I wonder how much impact this has because they've had a lot of hard conversations they're going to have around revenue because of everything that's going on with COVID. Do you see any fallout there? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, at, at this point, no. I just, like I said, players want to get paid, and they understand how they get paid. That's it. No pushback. Yeah. Fans is going to, you know, make a scoff the same way Jay-Z just, you know, sold his shares of title and joined the got a seat at Square. People aren't going to complain about everything. Life goes on. You know what I mean? Empty well, gestures. So I think gestures at this point. There will be there will be no hootenanny over this. Well, I, no I, hootenanny. I, I <laughs> tweak what you said just a little bit, Trevon. I think okay. people are going to complain. Life goes on, like we because we we are a for all the talk about cancel culture. I think what we really are is a complain culture. Yeah. But as you said before, canceling doesn't really happen that often. In part because we just move on. Like we 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 move on too quickly. For I Listen, think like I can get canceled culture. tomorrow. Yeah. And if I just tweet through it, guess what? <laughs> That's a cheat code. Seriously, let a week or two go by and somebody's going to outshine my dirt. That is a brilliant, brilliant way of assessing it. But it's so That's crazy. a t-shirt. It, it sucks, but that's just life. You know what I mean? And the bigger your platform is, the more people want to take you down. We all have skeletons. But just tweet like, through it. Yeah, just tweet. I mean, no, yeah. I didn't. I didn't make that. I didn't make that. So I can't. I think it was nerd at the cool table. Shout out to nerd at the cool table on Twitter. Okay, he has some gems, but I mean, you know, Black Twitter creates a lot of stuff that doesn't get a lot of credit for. So I can't but, take credit for that. But yeah, it gets ripped off by all the white people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that just hey, seems man. weird. Black people doing things that they don't get credit for? That seems out of character. I mean, I mean, look, man, in general, man, once you hit send on Twitter, a lot of stuff, companies look <laughs> at it and just ripping it. You can't get it's, mad. I mean, you it, 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 is, it is there for public co-opting, to be well, fair. Well, you can NFT your tweets now, so there you go. Okay, that's true. I don't think anybody's going to pay for mine. <laughs> uh, what, I want to talk to you a little bit about the podcasts uh, okay. because uh, the, the bomb podcast, Black Opinions, 
uh, on the Count the Dings Network, you've got a really interesting one where you kind of bring people on to talk to them specifically kind of about their backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, where, where they came from, how they got to where they are, the growing up series. Um, a couple things about that. First of all, like where did, where did that kind of the genesis that come from, but also too, how do you decide who you're interested in having come on? Cause you've had a really wide variety of guys. So you Roy Bellamy from, uh, from the Levitard show, Trey Kirby, you know, people, basketball fans might know, but also, Bitcoin's a like teaching everybody about Bitcoin and all that. Like what kinds of things are you interested in when you think of the people to put on that show? I'm interested in people in general. I always can't not stop learning. You know what I mean? I'm going to be learning from kids. I'm going to be learning from a 98 year old. You know what I mean? I don't know it all. I'll shut up when people talk. And in this particular situation, I think during, you know, this idea came about two years ago, um, but I had parked it for a little bit just to, you know, figure out the, you know, the long-term plan on it, if I was committed to it or not. And, you know, my co-host Jason Madison does an amazing job with the one and the two. Um, he challenges our guests every time and does some good research. Um, but that the concept of it mainly was just, you know, trying to show relatability. You know, most people get into the idolization of worship culture of celebrities or people with a large following. And I wanted to bring him, bring those, my guests down to earth and say, hey, when we get up, I open my eyes just like you. When I get out of bed, I put my shoes and socks on just like you. I get dressed just like you. And when I walk out the door, I'm just like you. And the relatability of like, we all grew up the same. No matter how we turned out as adults, we all started the same. So when you say, oh, I like that cereal when I grew up, or me and my brother did that at the same time, like that was the relatability. And then also offering that advice to their 18-year-old self at the end of the show. So for my younger listeners, and for my listeners that are transitioning into life or trying to figure things out, do know at that particular time, these advice is for you and to help you, you know what I mean? And help myself. I've learned so much from so many people and made friendships from having them as guests. So, you know, as far as, and to answer your last question, as far as picking the guests, um, I don't have a specific like guest. It's not like, oh, I'm, you got to be super famous or you got to be, popular you know what i mean like it originally the idea was to originally have like 10 celebrities and then just start picking random followers mm-hmm. but then i was like i got twenty thousand followers dude like uh, i don't know how i'm gonna just blindly select and say hey you're gonna be a guest today because for right. one everyone's not comfortable doing podcasts everyone is not good at public speaking and no one likes to be put on the spot it's like saying uh popcorn reading where you say uh you know you read brian you read and you're like uh, that, uh, 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 you know because people criticize people podcasts or content all the time but couldn't do this right it's tough yeah well i mean you, you mentioned roy for example i mean just from you know being a levitard fan i've learned about you know all the as they put it characters on the show and you know roy's backstory is somebody that didn't begin in broadcast journalism and by mm-hmm. by his own admission he's still not totally comfortable on, on the mic end, like speaking a lot, like on, on Levitard and stuff. So A, it was just interesting hearing him on your show because just there's like a mystery about him. But I think it also, it's, I think it's, it speaks to just what you, what you have to do as an interviewer in situations mm-hmm. like this. And just every, everybody isn't going to be the same, like in terms yeah. of an interview subject and how you look to hear from them, how you look to learn from them. Like there's, it, Everybody, everybody just, there's a lot of different things that make us tick, even though, like you said, you know, there's, there's certainly commonalities in all the guests that you've had. Yeah. I mean, it's the more of the micromanaging, like don't put anybody out of their comfort zone, talk about stuff that makes them happy, a bright spot. Most of my guests smile. I mean, I haven't really released any video. Jason has it in a vault. Um, sometimes we're just like, should we put it out? Do people care about it? But for the most part, when we're recording, people are really enjoying themselves. They're reflecting on good times. Sometimes we had serious conversations. You know, sometimes I opened up the, you know, the vault and talk about some share some personal experiences about myself. So, um, like I said, it it's a it's a fun opportunity to do it. Um, hopefully, I'll land more guests. You know, what I mean, people that are open to reaching out and want to be a guest, or people that's you know 
doing the hockey assist and introducing me to people. And I think that's how it kind of normally goes. It's a friend of a friend that says, hey, I think they would be perfect for this show. Or, hey, I would love to hear about this person. You know, and and sometimes I'm publicly just calling them out like, hey, I would love to have you on the show. And, you know, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not that person to be ashamed or, you know, admit that I'm a fan. I like to give people their flowers. And, you know, like uh, I joked around during the bubble when we got J.J. Reddick to do a shotgun of beer. And I, I kindly asked him, did he want to come on my pod? You know, and he did. I mean, he didn't have to. And he he did that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for anyone that comes on and takes their time out to record a podcast with me and Jason. That's um, how we how- about this thing. It's like, you know, yeah. especially, you know, people like we didn't even realize Zach last night lives in Chicago. And we're like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm on Midwest. And we're like, oh, crap. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I mean, who would have won the return, guys? Man. Yeah. Appreciate uh, so it, man. Always <laughs> a fun time. Um, I, I wanted to actually ask you about the the podcast, the the bomb that dropped today with uh, Nama Cochran and John Gervais and you. You, you guys are talking about uh, the ABC series, The Soul of a Nation. Um, and there was an interesting contention, I thought, that Nama made about the show, which is about the black experience in America. And she said that it isn't for us, us being black people. She said that in a lot of ways, it's a show for white people to see hopefully better understand that black experience hopefully you know try to be more helpful in making that black experience better just like i said understanding it more Mm -hmm. and what i thought was interesting about that is the idea of just black content for lack of a better way of putting it sometimes existing for that purpose for people other than black people and like how prevalent do you think that is? Is it disheartening, like at times, like the idea that you know shows or movies could be like almost reverse homework? You know what I mean, like or potentially ignored homework, you know, as opposed to something really for for the entire audience that's making it. Like it's interesting. It was interesting to hear that on the heels of the conversation we just had with Dave Schilling, who was involved with that uh, Black Renaissance video for uh, YouTube. Um, and it was, it was, it was, I, that, that contention of hers really stuck out to me. First of all, shout out to Naima Cochran. She's one of the smartest people I know. Um, very knowledgeable in the music industry and just well-rounded and highly educated. Um, just love hearing her talk. Um, yeah, she's absolutely right. Cause when you think about when we go to school, right? Every race, everybody go to school in the United States. We're taught all these histories of everything. When you think about black history, when you think about the way we were treated, the way life has been, they omit it, or it's briefly breezed over two pages, if that. Or you see people that graduate or the actual state history of what's going on and say, oh, I never learned about that. So last May, everybody, America's eyes were open. You had yeah. white guilt. You had people apologizing. You had people saying, oh, I never was taught that, or I'm so sorry, and apologizing, and are you okay, and Ferenc checking, checking out. Well, these things that are have been released and these things, it shouldn't be fall on the weight of black people. For one, we shouldn't I shouldn't have to teach you about my history. I shouldn't teach you about things that's going on. I shouldn't teach you about what it feels like to be me or be mistreated by, you know, law enforcement or be having the fear of seeing those lights and you never did anything and you're not knowing if you're going to make it home. So when you get something like Soul of a Nation or people sharing, being vulnerable for one in front of millions and millions of people experiencing the first time they realized they were black or the first time that they were just trying to do their job and, you know, was basically verbally abused by slander or a bigotry word, you know, in those situations. So overall, yes, this content is for other races. When you look at it to say, this is how we feel. This is how we relay it. The same way as hip hop, the same as movies in this direction to show how we really feel it's the expression because that's it that's all we have and i think that's the only way to grasp attention because if i went outside and i got arrested people would mind their business and say oh he must have did something not versus the color of my skin so with programs like soul of a nation i mean you can go down the line books music podcasts poetry slam all this stuff instagram lives People are constantly putting out content. Buy black shouldn't be a thing, <laughs> but it is. 
You know what I mean? Black history year shouldn't be a thing, but it is. You have to promote these things or they're going to get pushed away to the side. So with content, you it's not for us because we already know. We know right. we, we live it. This is our lives being documented. It's for other people to say, wake up, open your eyes, and do you care? If you don't care, fine. <laughs> I'd rather you lie to me and say, you know what, I don't care, <laughs> versus telling me something and putting a black Instagram square up. Does it feel like it's being heard more? No. <laughs> no. I don't feel anything. I mean, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, the thing about being black in America is that we have hope. We always had hope. Because if it happens to one person, you think, go that right path and it might happen to you too. So if one person gets reparations like in that show, right, then it's yeah. like, all right, let's follow. We have the blueprint now. Right. If one person survives... And it has immunity to never get killed by a police officer. Then we're going to follow that path. We have no ideal model to how to survive in America. It sucks. But also, it's not just about us. I can't highlight that. Stop Asian hate. It's a lot of stuff going on in America right now. It's disgusting. So as much as, you know, I can make it about black people. I can make it about Asian people. I can make it about, you know, the poor, the people that don't have water in Mississippi and Texas and frozen pipes and people not having jobs and rent control. And it's just the world overall. You know what I mean? It's disgusting. But whatever you're using your platform for to get the message out, I just want people to wake up, you know, and all I can tell you is to drink water. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, by the way, because you've been doing the daily message of drink water for, I mean, it began before the pandemic. I mean, this has been going on a few oh, it's, years. It's years. Do it's you years. do you hear from people that hydration is going up? Like, do you feel like you're making a, a difference in the hydration movement? I don't know if I'm making a difference or not. I mean, I'm grateful for the messages of people saying thanks for the reminder. Um, you know, I, it's been, it's been great, you know, seeing feedback, but like, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's honestly a personal reminder. That's right. how it all started. I used to drink so much root beer soda and like eat so much candy. And like, I went to the doctor one time and he was like, dude, you don't drink enough water. And I had to like really tell myself like, you drink water today. And it just kind of made a thing. And, you know, I started tweeting it so I can see it with my own eyes. It's just kind of like right. taking a note. And then telling myself to go drink water at that particular time. And then people started to catch on and, and things of that nature. And again, I, I don't own water. I don't uh, <laughs> I don't own a brand. You know what I mean? Like it, I genuinely care about people. I would I would hope that people are making a better, you know, life choice. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing. Representative of big water. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this Trayvon bottled water though that I've been drinking like the last year or so is. I gotta find it really refreshing. <laughs> hey, hey, if any water brand wants to reach out and, and and collab with me, I'm I'm always welcome, man. Right now, you know, to to keep it eco friendly, I've been using the Brita filter. There you um, go. But Flow Water is pretty good. I heard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if Flow wants to, me. you take a nice room temperature bottle of water with you to your smart bed at night. And that's how you, that's how you turn down. I got you. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't bring any water in the bedroom, but I will say that, uh, I keep a gallon. I, I, I will. That's the, I think that's the annoying thing about being in New York now is that I have to be very mindful of my water intake. So mostly I might go very light during the day if I have to travel, you know, on the train or whatever, but at, if I'm at home, yeah, I'm just, flushing a gallon because I can go to the bathroom. The bathroom's right there. Yeah. Uh, Edwards, uh, this really, really quick before we oh. let you go, I just wanted to uh, give you a chance to let people know about us uh, Space Fridays, um, the the group that you lead uh, over Zoom. Man, I really appreciate this promo. Uh, Safe Space Fridays is for a black man struggling with trauma, just a safe space to just, you know, let their, um, you know, their feelings, if they don't feel comfortable talking about things, you know, I'm a vault pretty much. I'm, I'm allowing them to, you know, get out, get it out. You know what I mean? Some people don't feel comfortable talking with their spouse, their partner, you know, family. It's too embarrassed. You know what I mean? Because everybody it's a stereotype and, you know, how we were raised and in our community is that, you know, men have to be tough and boys don't cry. And, you know, 
toughen up. And, and I think that's very overrated. You know what I mean? Like bottled emotions causes even more problems and, you know, you need to find that safe space. So if you can't afford therapy, um, my door is always open. Well, my DMS are always open. Um, <laughs> and then my zoom door is open and, and, you know, I mean, for an hour or two, we, you know, we talk about life. Sometimes we don't have trauma. Sometimes we just joke around and we've created a community there. And I mean, I'm grateful to, to, to block off that time on my schedule and, 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 and give my time to whoever may need it at that time, because, you know, we're on borrowed time. And, you know, if, if my, my uh, service in life is to do one thing, it's, you know, it's to help others. So, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. And for people who are listening right now to the podcast, not seeing it again, Safe Space Fridays, the Zoom code is 382-697-5023. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific time. You can DM Trayvon at Trayvon, T-R-A-V-O-N-N-E for the password. Just again, wanted to make sure that that was out there for people because I think it's great that you're doing that. I appreciate it, fellas. Brian, you're muted. You're my You're daughter, my daughter we're doing this live so you know earlier my daughter's still awake usually she's asleep when we do it live yeah. um so yeah i was just trying to crying um but there's so much we actually didn't get to even with an hour so you know i know you know with all the the gigs and all that uh, your time is is valuable uh mm -hmm. let us know another time we can get you back because we love talking to you It'd be fun to Man, do it again. anytime you guys hit me up dude i'm always available i'll make time for you guys uh, be awesome, careful with thank you <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trayvon, Trayvon Edwards, um, The Athletic, Wyden Kennedy, The Bomb uh, Podcast, part of the Count the Dings Network, which you are a co-founder, correct? Yes. So correct. a lot going on. Again, man, we appreciate the time, and we are really, really happy for your success, man. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Um, so Trayvon Edwards, awesome stuff. Well, if you get a chance to listen to the podcast, uh, B-O-M-M -M is what you search on iTunes to find all of it. It's a lot of great stuff. Um, I loved the the podcast he did uh, about Bitcoin. It was really, really informative. Um, yeah, the, the one that works really good. Yeah, the one today about Soul of a Nation is important. And then uh, the Safe Spaces thing. If you do know somebody who could use that that outlet, um, pass, along, pass the word. Um, all right, so tomorrow, Andy, we have Steve Mason. Yeah, 710 ESPN. Our friend Steve is going to be uh, coming on the show. Uh, he is an old man who cannot stay up until 10 o'clock. So he's we're, we're going to be talking to him early. Uh, we're going to be mocking him relentlessly. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting. He's going to stay up till probably like six, maybe six fifteen for us. It's yeah. It really speaks to the friendship that we built with Mace that he's that he's willing to uh, like. We are. He's he's willing to bleed a little bit he's, into the. Uh, the he's burning the sunset burning. oil, Andy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it really means a lot to both of us. Um, some fun stuff set up for next week. Uh, got comedian Mike Malloy coming up on Monday. Uh, a muralist, Robert Vargas. We're going to talk to him about the process yeah. of putting up a very uh, brand new Kobe mural. Um, he's been painting murals all over the city, and that's kind of a cool thing. The Lauer After Dark guys are going to uh, come by on Thursday and some great stuff for the rest of the week there. So we'll, uh, we'll see everybody tomorrow. Steve Mason. Don, you need a lunch.